you know, I'm not going to lie. One of the movies that I've really been looking forward to lately, uh, I mean, I wasn't super excited about first. It's Snake Eyes. I wasn't super excited about Snake Eyes at first. But then when I heard Henry Golding got cast in it, I, I think Henry Golding is a bona fide movie star. I really do. You guys have heard me say that for a while. So I really like this dude. And then the trailer started to drop. And I'm not going to lie. I really like the trailers a lot. Ann and I got our tickets to go see Snake Eyes tonight. I'm going to go see it in a few hours. Very excited about that. But one real bad sign, ladies and gentlemen, one real bad sign is when a studio hides the reviews. Because we got like a week out from Snake Eyes and didn't see any reviews. And we're like, oh, that's not good. But a week is still a week, whatever. Then we got three days out from Snake Eyes and still no reviews. Hell, then we got to yesterday, the day before the movie opens, and still no reviews. And it's like, you guys know there are a few truths in life. Death, taxes, video game movies suck. But you can also probably add to that movies where the studios hold the review embargo until the day it releases those movies will probably not be so good. So that hasn't been great to see. Uh, and as it turns out, we were right to worry because finally today, the day the movie comes out, they finally released the review embargo and the reviews don't look great. Uh, we're going to start one off here with uh, Eric Eisenberg from Blunt who writes, uh, there is enough to appreciate in Snake Eyes to call it mediocre, but it's tough. Because there exists so much potential in it to be better than this. Uh, William Bibiani from The Rap, writing for The Rap, writes, uh, The drama is muddled, the action is murky, and the storyline can't help but get goofier and goofier until, by the end, every attempt in this movie uh, this movie makes to ground the G.I. Joe series gets blown up. It's hardly the worst G.I. Joe uh, series has delivered, but it's certainly the least interesting. Then we get from We Live Entertainment, writes, Even as a piece of pulp entertainment, with only so many standard characters, uh, stay with so many standout characters, there are not enough offbeat choices uh, or interesting circumstances to make Snake Eyes worthwhile. Then the Associated Press writes, it's true. It's a true sin, or the true sin, is that Snake Eyes as a character is so deathly dull. He barely has a personality. He is purely driven by revenge and also doesn't seem to have to work all that hard to get anything. And then The Hollywood Reporter writes, uh, a shameless corporate popcorn movies go. Snake Eyes is better than most, but that's not high praise. Uh, but considering the film's dopey pedigree, it's not nothing. So, yeah, I have been very stoked to see snake eyes i i'm i'm still excited to go to the theater tonight i'm still excited to go to the theater tonight to watch it but man as the days started counting down and we weren't seeing reviews coming out i'm like this isn't good this isn't good i mean it doesn't always mean the movie's bad but it always means the the studio doesn't have confidence in it and uh i guess it looks like we're we're seeing why anyway i'll see it myself tonight but aaron let me ask you this you know, I, I know you're not like the biggest G.I. Joe person in the world, but that makes you a good person to ask this question. If you're as somebody who as as a moviegoer, have you had any interest in seeing Snake Eyes? And are you were you expecting these types of reactions? Were you expecting something different? I my my true interest in seeing Snake Eyes is to see Henry Golding. I yeah. really just think he's so wonderful. I have I have said before how he's not only just lovely to look at i could just look at him all day but he's also in my uh, what i find to be a very charismatic very engaging and interesting actor to watch and so it makes me very sad to hear that these kinds of reviews are coming out because as 
you know, what I noticed is that there's no bad reviews on the talent. No one's saying, oh, my gosh, you know, these actors were really phoning it in. They specifically spoke about the character of Snake Eyes, which could be maybe considered, you know, uh, not as strong a choices or not as dynamic a choices by Henry Golding as Snake Eyes. But that could also, a lot of these sound like directorial comment, uh, comments that uh, really don't have anything to do with Henry Golding. So I'm a, uh, it's unfortunate for him, especially because this is his lead movie. And there's only so many leads that actors get to show that they are capable of being a Will Smith, a Tom Cruise, etc. You know, we saw it happening with Orlando Bloom. You know, they really tried to make him a box office star with lead after lead in studio movies that just never worked. And so I hope that this is something that people can overlook. Um, I know that uh, a friend of mine once, when I first came to Hollywood, he gave me some great advice. He said, always make sure that you have something either in the can or coming up that you're about to start doing. Because if what comes out is a hit, everyone's going to go, well, what's next? And you better have something to say. And if it's if what you have coming out is a bomb, you better have something that you can quickly say, okay, well, forget about this. I have this other project coming up. And fortunately for the director, Robert Schwenke, Schwenke, something German, Robert something German, uh, he has many new projects coming out, so I'm not worried about him. And thankfully for Henry Golding, he also has other projects coming out. So I am looking forward to the beautiful Henry Golding, the beautiful and talented Henry <laughs> Golding appearing in many, many, many more films for us all to enjoy. And I'm excited to see tomorrow's show to hear what uh, what you have to say about it. Yeah, because I, I, I mean, I loved him in The Gentleman, the Guy Ritchie film, The Gentleman that he did with Matthew McConaughey. He was great, but he wasn't the lead. Then he did that really bad little Christmas movie with uh uh with the queen of dragons the mother of dragons i keep forgetting yes, the actress's amelia name clark. yeah amelia clark it, that what movie wasn't so good but again she was really the headline of, of that one this is really kind of the first one and even in crazy rich asians you know he wasn't the main kind of person it so it was kind of neat seeing he was going to get to do this in snake eyes kind of disappointing to see it's not maybe being received all that well anyway kim where have your expectations been going into it? Like, were you expecting something great? Did you not know what to think? And how are your expectations now adjusted hearing these uh, early reviews coming out? You know what? I'm not moved. I'm here for Assam. Andrew Cozy, yeah. his physicality, when he's throwing down, he's throwing down. That's a bad boy right there. So I'm excited to see Henry Golding do some more martial arts. But I, I'm such a fan of Warrior. And I'm so excited to see Andrew Koji doing more and having more of kind of a, a co-star role in it. And so I'm hoping the physicality and, and the fighting kind of takes over because here's the thing. There's a lot of movies out there where the story's like, eh, but if someone can throw down, it's undeniable. So yeah. and, you know, I, I, I got to admit, seeing a song for those for those of you guys who don't watch Warrior on HBO watch warrior on hbo to oh, see no. a psalm in that trailer go call me storm shadow i'm like ah like i'm like getting all excited it's like ah okay because guys watch warrior on hbo anyway guys questions for you what do you think about this we knew it wasn't a good sign that studios were hiding the reviews now we're seeing some negative stuff i'm still looking forward to going to see it but my expectations are now very very tempered how are you guys feeling about it jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys 
With that down, let's move into our main topics today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campia Show? Well, it's really simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you think we need to have as a main topic on the John Campia Show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe... Just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Sean Marshall, who writes, Hey, John and Aaron, and Kim is here today as well. I know fans love theorizing about Hollywood mashups, but I wanted to know if you saw that Kate Beckinsale mentioned that there was an idea being floated at the studio of Underworld being crossed over with Blade. Obviously, they went in a different direction, but how would you have felt about a Blade slash Underworld crossover? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Sean. And listen, Underworld is one of those movies, particularly the first one, is one of those movies that I didn't love the movie, but I loved the world they created. And I loved that they gave us Kate Beckinsale in tight black vampire hunter leather pants. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not, I'm not above that. I'm not above that to say that. But Kate Beckinsale as Celine the Hunter in that, awesome. Michael Sheen as the head werewolf, awesome. The mythology of this world, what I really loved about the mythology in in the underworld was this notion that there are three vampire elders, but to make sure they never squabble amongst themselves or create a power rift, they all decide that two vampire elders will sleep. And then for, I think it's a hundred years, one vampire elder will be awake and rule that at the end of the hundred years, that vampire elder will go to sleep and the next vampire elder will come over. I mean, it's a fabulous mythology that they created that unfortunately the movie didn't itself quite live up to, but I still liked it. I still, I still liked it. I'm not big on this idea of mashup movies, but apparently this was one Crossing Underworld over with Blade was one that was at least discussed to some degree. This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who writes, Kate Beckinsale is highly doubtful that another Underworld will be made, but that doesn't mean she isn't up for playing Celine in a sixth movie. I really wanted them to do an Underworld Blade mashup, she says. What a duel that would be, she told me at the premiere of her action thriller Jolt at the San Vicente uh, Bungalows. I would definitely do that but I think they just wanted to reboot. They just wanted to reboot Blade as as Blade. So they didn't go for it. So she says they ultimately didn't go for it. Guys, I'll, I'll tell you what. Like I said before, I'm not I'm not one of these guys who's like, oh, cross this movie over with this movie. That's just a lot of fanboy joygasming. I, I'm not usually into that stuff. But once I read that this was something that they actually discussed. I mean, a lot of people used to joke about they should cross Blade with uh, Twilight. And I thought, yeah, that could be that could be uh, pretty messy and pretty interesting. Um, but crossing Celine with Blade, that could have been pretty fun. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad Marvel's got their hands on Blade. I'm glad they're doing, you know, Mahershala Ali, two-time Academy Award winners coming to play that. That's awesome. But uh, I'm not going to lie, hearing that this 
was at least being talked about gets me kind of excited. I know, Kim, maybe this just sounds like another fangasm idea, but do you like the idea of Blade and Celine? I don't know. What did you think? I kind of do. I'm not going to lie. I do get a bit giddy when there's like a SVU Chicago PD crossover. I'm like, oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. But um, I think it depends on who the director was. I mean, Guillermo del Toro did, what was it, the second Blade? And I think that would have been dope if he had directed whatever crossover because he could really take it there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that would have been really cool. He could do a lot with both of those worlds. So I think it would have been cool as long as it's not like cheesy and stupid, like, you know, Blade stabs someone, then she does a back kick and they turn around and high five, like miss me with that. But if it was dope, I'm into it. And honestly, I think it would be kind of cool. Uh, by the way, our friend uh, Ifran Dagman sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Ifran. I appreciate that, man. Uh, and then he sends in another one. Thank you, dude, very much. Um, anyway, Aaron, you know, you hear about this. Again, th this this is the stuff of like usually Reddit fanboy threads, I think. But I actually think this thing had some potential. What do you think about it? I first of all, I, I'm almost as in love with Henry Golding as I am with Kate Beckinsale or vice versa. I can't decide who I like to see in tight leather more. I, I, I don't really know. It's, <laughs> it's pretty much a toss up. Um, but I but see Kate Beckinsale gets brownie points for how she got revenge on a director one time. I won't say it, but you're welcome to go Google it. It is a doozy and fantastic. Uh, makes me respect her all the more. But um, yeah, I, I do think that there was a time and a place for this crossover. And maybe it was uh, after Blade Trinity came out to really kind of, because there was a lull, you know, Blade Trinity didn't have the reviews, it didn't have the excitement. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that I think compromised the integrity of the film um, that you can also Google. But um, so I, I think that at that point, the Blade franchise could have used a nice crossover uh, that would have really revamped it. And as we saw, Underworld was still going on. We had a 2012, a 2016 movie. Um I think that especially now that they are revamping it with Mahershala Ali, I don't think that it would do him service as the actor playing Blade to say, well, we're not, we're a little doubtful of your ability to carry this on your own. We feel like you need some help from, you know, the underworld. I feel like that would not work very well. And if I were him, I would be very offended if they did that. Um, I think he's more than capable of carrying this film. Um, but that's not to say that she isn't dropping a little Easter egg of, hey, you guys, I have an action film coming out. Hey, you guys, it wasn't that long ago. And by the way, I'm very interested. So whether we saw a crossover or not, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear within the next six months to a year that there's maybe another Underworld coming out. Well, that would be interesting. Or that's I mean in development or in development, at least. She's she's saying, hey. I'm game. And this is a great opportunity for her to, you know, to, for her to say it and, you know, get us talking about it, which we are. They kind of ran the franchise into the ground, but I'm not going to lie. I'd be down to see another one. I I'd be down to see them take another swing at that. Anyway, guys, the question for you. And, and by the way, our friend Black Bono Lala sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Black Bono. Um, what do you guys think about this? I, I know it's like one of those things that just seems like something out of a pure fantasy, but apparently they did talk at least about a Blade and Underworld crossover. Would you have been down for that? Or you're like, thank God they didn't do that. Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts.
Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Ryan Christofferson, who writes, Well, it looks like sites like Deadline and The Wrap are reporting that Leslie Grace will be portraying Batgirl in the upcoming DC movie. I loved her in The Heights, and I know you feel the same. So what are your thoughts on the casting? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, it was it was either yesterday or two days ago, I can't remember exactly, that Robert and I talked about on this show that it looked like the upcoming HBO Max Batgirl movie, uh, a feature film they're doing on Batgirl that was going to go straight to HBO Max, that it looked like they had narrowed it down to two finalists. And one of those finalists was Leslie Grace from In the Heights. Now, I don't know if you guys remember this or not. I loved In the Heights. It it, it wasn't a movie I was super stoked about. I mean, it's Lin-Manuel Miranda, and I love Hamilton, but I love Hamilton. That doesn't mean I'm going to love everything that Lin-Manuel does. So I only went because Anne really wanted to go see it. So I go with Anne to see it, and when the movie was over, I got up and started dancing in the aisle. I mean, I just thought it was fantastic. And Leslie Grace, for me, in that movie was an absolute revelation. Not just her acting, but her singing and her beauty and everything about the way she carried herself on screen. I loved it. Now, I didn't say she would be my pick to play Batgirl because I haven't read the script. I don't know if she's a good fit for Batgirl or not. I just will leave that to the director and the casting people. But I did know I was interested in seeing her playing the role if it came down to her. And now it looks like she is the one who's going to play Batgirl. This comes to us from the folks over at Screen Rant who writes, "Uh, Warner Brothers Batgirl movie cast in the Heights star Leslie Grace as Barbara Gordon, better known as the titular superhero. In the Heights star is an accomplished recording artist, landing multiple Latin Grammy Award nominations before she wowed audiences as Nina in the film version of Lin-Manuel Miranda's hit Broadway musical. Recently, it was reported that Grace was in the running for the role alongside Haley Lou Richardson, uh, the star of 2017's Columbus. So then, again, there we have it. Leslie Grace has got the role. And listen, what I always say about this stuff when it comes to casting X actor in next role is like, all I want to know is that they get a talented performer for the role. That's all I care about. I loved her in, in the Heights. She's talented. She can carry something. And so I'll tell you what, I am all about this. Aaron, you take a look at this and you know, she, for a lot of people, Leslie is an unknown name to a lot of people, uh, understandably so. But you heard that she's now getting that big superhero break, uh, even though it's going to be for HBO Max. But what do you think of the casting and what do you think of her in general? Well, you know, like you said, when you have incredible talent, it's really hard to go wrong. Um, You know, that's one of the things also just to. Yes, someone may say, I I don't necessarily know that because I like one thing that Lin-Manuel Miranda does that I may not like another. And I get that. But one of the things that Lin-Manuel Miranda does so beautifully is he finds incredible talent and he elevates it you know he could have with a movie like this he could have listened to what the studio probably wanted which was you know already famous actors already famous and he's like dude you don't need them you don't need them you have me i'm lin-manuel miranda i'm all the name you need i'm the biggest hottest name like in hollywood right now which is true so you go off my name, you go off the success of my show, Hamilton, and then we cast people who are Tony Award winners, Grammy Award winners, performers that have not yet gotten the one thing that's just going to pop them over the edge. 
you know, you see it in Anto- um, Anthony Ramos, you see it in Corey Hawkins. You know, th- these actors have been working consistently, working consistently, but all they need is that one movie that then is going to make them go, oh, that's just going to pop it over the edge and get them the next job that's going to make them household names. And that is what we're seeing for her right now. And I, I, I'm, I'm very excited to see what she does with this role. And what we talked about before is when you have talent that elevates the superhero or the comic yeah. book genre in the past where we've had, you know, really, really talented actors who are award winning say, oh, well, that's that's kind of beneath me. And now it's like, no, this is what you want to be doing. I think it's really great, not just for her, but also for the entire uh, the entire comic book genre to have great talent attached. It's it's always the first and best start. Anyway, Kim, you hear about this casting. What did you think about it? You know what? Good for her. Um, I, I think, honestly, when I saw her in, in the Heights, I was like, I like her for a Disney princess. Like, oh, that, that worked smile, too. Yeah. that voice of hers, that crystal clear, like, she's one of those voices that when she hits that note, it makes you, like, get the chills down your spine a little. I loved her, but I'm like, what version are we getting of of the character? Um, because it seems like we need some grit in there. So that's my only concern is I'm like, you, you look very Disney channel. But it makes me think of Vanessa Hudgens. And like she was so Disney, high school musical. And then she started doing some really gritty stuff. And I was like, okay, you know, not the most amazing movies ever. But in terms of just changing um, Did you see direction. her in Polar with, uh, with uh, Mads Mikkelsen? Vanessa Hudgens in Polar. Not not a ton of people saw it, but she like she was great, like very gritty, very and that you're right. That's not how people traditionally saw her. Well, nope, look at they Amy didn't. Adams. And she did a good job. Yeah, yeah, Amy Adams, and she was a, not Disney, but well, yeah, Disney. Yeah, yeah, she was yeah. she was Ella Enchanted, and then she went and did Sharp Objects. You can't get more different than that. So that's a really good point, Kimberly. So I say, I say give her give give the girl a chance, and I like the directors. What is it, um, Falal and. Yeah, I yeah, I I didn't see their previous thing, so I wasn't really aware. There, I loved Bad Boys for Life. I thought it was fun. I thought it was also, you know, it brought the grit, it brought the toughness, the action was great, and so I feel like the film is in good hands. And I feel like, you know what? Good for you, girl. You bring it. You show us what you can do. You know, I don't think we should judge and just go. Oh well, she's just the cute singer girl because that's that thought popped into my head. But then I thought, you know what? Some some cute girls have been really badass. And so I'm going to give her a chance. And, and I really trust the directors with this. Right. And don't forget, like when, when thinking you don't want to judge them too much on like one or two, pro- like what they sort of portrayed, because don't forget the guys that Kevin Feige got to come in and do Captain America, Winter Soldier, Civil War, Infinity War and Endgame were the directors of you, me and Dupree. And, you know, but they knew that these were the guys that could do this because they saw the stuff behind the scenes. Anyway, the question is for you. And the director of Joker, and sorry to interrupt you, John, and the director of Joker also directed Road Trip. So yes. there you go. So I do have a question helps. for you, John. I do have a question for you, John, and not to not to take us off in a different direction, but I'm, I'm curious about something. For those of us who are not super uh, connected to the world of comics and don't know the history of everything... We have Batgirl and we have Batwoman. Two separate characters. Right. Yeah. Um, but is that a common theme? Like, is there a Superboy somewhere that I don't yep. know about? 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. oh, yeah. The comics have Superboy <laughs> and they have like eight different versions of Superman and they have like, yeah, like and generally speaking, look, I'm not from a creative point of view. I'm generally not a fan of derivative characters like you got Batman. You got to have Batgirl. You have Superman. You got to have Superboy. You got to have Flash. You have Kid Flash. You have Hulk. You have She-Hulk. I like. I'm, I'm normally not a big fan of the idea. Not that I don't like. I don't think the characters themselves can be great. I just don't like that kind of notion of derivative characters. But you know, right now with the directors of Bad Boys for Life, which was way better than I thought it was going to be, with the girl from In the Heights, which she was fantastic in that. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I mean, so we'll see where they go. Anyway, the question is for you guys. What do you think about this? That they have gotten uh, one of the stars of In the Heights to be the lead, to be Barbara Gordon in Batgirl for HBO Max's Batgirl film. Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. And by the way, uh, Gritter Plays sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Gritter. Appreciate that, man. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic Number three, and our third main topic today gets submitted to us by James Argenta, who writes, according to deadline, Michaela Cole, Cole uh, let me try that again. According to deadline, Michaela Cole joins Black Panther Wakanda forever. Michaela Cole most recently created and starred in I May Destroy You, in which she got nominated for best series, directing, writing and lead actress in a limited or anthology series. Do you think she could be the new Black Panther in the MCU or have a supporting role like a new member of the Dora Milaje? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And so here's here's something interesting. So last week I had heard from two different people who I have never heard from before. All right. I put this up on Twitter. I heard from two different people, both of whom I had never heard of before, and I have no idea if they have any credibility at all. So I, we didn't make it this a topic on the John Campus show at all. But what both of these people told me was that, number one, the new Black Panther was not going to be uh, Okoye, was not going to be Mbaku, was not going to be Shuri, was not going to be Nakia, who is be my pick, by the way. Um, Lupita Nyong'o should be the new Black Panther. That's that's just me. Anyway, but that number one, the new Black Panther was going to be a completely brand new character, a completely brand new character. Number two, that the character was going to be female. Now, again, I didn't do this as a story on the John Campus show because I'm dubious as to the validity of of those things. But I did hear from a couple people. So I got on Twitter. I said, hey, guys, I'm hearing this. Have any of you heard this as well? And some people got back to me and said, yeah, we've kind of been hearing that, too. So whether or not that's true, who knows? No idea if that's true or not. But when they go out and get one of the hotter names out there right now, Michaela Cole, with everything she just did with and the all the awards attention she got for I May Destroy You, and you bring her in, naturally, some people are going to get curious is about, is this our new, not just a new cast member of Black Panther, 
is this actually our new Black Panther? This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who write, Michaela Cole has joined the ensemble cast of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, the sequel to the hit Marvel film Black Panther. Character details are locked up, per usual. Insiders say Cole has joined director Ryan Coogler at Atlanta's Pinewood Studios, where production began last month. Marvel Studios declined to comment on the matter. Cole Cole exploded onto Hollywood's radar in 2020 with her critically acclaimed HBO Max series, I May Destroy You, which she's received four Emmy nominations in addition to writing, directing, and producing Cole starred in the show. Listen, the dude's a one-woman show. She's a 100% one-woman show. And by the way, our friend Banana Apple sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Banana Apple. So listen, I'm going to tell you straight up. I've never seen I May Destroy You. When I saw all the awards, like there are a couple of shows that I got on board really late because they got a lot of awards attention. When this show started getting all of its awards attention, I'm like, oh, I had never even heard of it. I never even heard of it. But instantly, Ann and I put it on our watch list not long ago. And we still haven't gotten around to watching it yet. I want to see it. So listen, I can't speak to whether or not I think Cole is going to be good for the movie. I don't. I can't speak to whether or not I think she'd be a good Black Panther or a good Dora Milaje member or good anything. Guys, I simply don't know. I, I don't have a working knowledge of this uh, at all, but I do find it very curious. But I will say this. This is another big win for Ryan Coogler and Kevin Feige and Marvel when you have the hottest names at the moment lining up to be in your movies. This is, again, just a kind of another sign that this is a bit of a win for them. Anyway, uh, Kim, I, I don't know. Have you seen I May Destroy? Are you familiar with her work? What do you think about this casting? What do you think she may or may not be playing in the movie? What are your thoughts on this? I am so excited. First of all, she is brave. She's such a brave woman. I May Destroy You is based off of her own her very own sexual assault and she has fictionalized the story it's kind of a therapy for her and kind of her way of saying you know if you if you don't talk about it then the issue might disappear i think is is my bad paraphrasing of something she said but it's such a brave show and and it's it's interesting because it's she's very funny but this is such a tough subject matter i'm not going to lie it's a bit tough to watch if you've ever gone through that it can be a bit triggering um but because it's in your face i mean it's very like it's 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 kind of a tough watch but man is she talented uh she wrote and starred in chewing gum so funny she's such a thoughtful writer i feel like they are so lucky to have her in this project and i feel like with um i mean you can't escape it not having chadwick boseman is the ultimate devastation and and the ultimate challenge for writers and directors and a cast of how are we going to move forward and honor him and honor the character? Because the thing is, not a whole lot of people, especially the younger generation, know the history behind Black Panther. So you get an opportunity to kind of pull from different places in, in the timeline or the lore of Black Panther. So I feel like, yeah, she could be Black Panther, but I honestly, the way... Her acting and, and her storytelling style, I, I personally don't see her as the new Black Panther. I think she's a new character. She might be a new leader of the Dora Milaje. Um, I, I don't want to go into the mutant discussion. I don't want to go there. But I've been hearing a lot of buzz of like, she might be Storm. 
so I don't know. I, I like I said, I don't want to open that can of worms, but I have been seeing a lot of that in, in response to her casting. I don't see her as being Black Panther, to be honest. Um, her storytelling si- style is very visceral, very thoughtful, um, a little understated, but very, very funny. Um, so I'm I this one. I have no idea who she's playing. I I'll, have no guess. I'll tell you what, though. As soon as you said Storm, I'm like, oh, God, come on. But, Did I just blow up the comments? I'm sorry, guys. But, but. <laughs> oh, you know you want to talk about it. But <laughs> consider this. Because this, after I thought, oh, Kimberly, what are you doing? I, but then this thought came to mind. Listen, the whole reason they have not had X-Men, anything like that, is we talk about it all the time on here. Kevin Feige said when they acquired Fox that he already had the next five years planned out. And he wasn't going to be bringing in X-Men or Fantastic Four. True. But they had to go back to the drawing board with Black Panther after the passing of Chadwick Boseman. That means whatever the plan was for Black Panther, which I'm sure did not include Storm, whatever that was, that that went out the window. And if they're starting from scratch... That means this new plan, this new idea for Black Panther 2 wasn't part of that five-year plan. Look, I'm not sitting here telling you she's playing Storm, but out of all the times everybody said, this is where the X-Men are coming, this would be the most plausible time. If it was going to happen, this is the most plausible time. So I'll tell you what, this will be the first time that I'm not going to out of hand reject the an X-Men theory about that, because you know what? Maybe it is Storm. Now, it would feel weird. The one thing against that, though, is that the whole idea about bringing Storm into the world of the Black Panther is, of course, her marriage to T'Challa, you know, and they no longer are using T'Challa. But I mean, it's still a very interesting theory that is actually plausible. Anyway, Aaron... You hear about this casting, joining Black Panther. What do you think about the casting? Well, I agree with Kimberly. It is it is a smart move on their part to acquire such an incredibly talented woman uh, to be a part of the project in general. And what really struck me, I, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't really have a lot of theories on who's going to play what. I, I'm also, I'm the kind of person that, I really like to be surprised. I don't like to try to figure it out. What's going to happen? Who's going to get it? I I, I just like to be surprised. Um, I am the person that went, oh my gosh, he sees dead people. And the rest of the (laughs) audience is like, bitch, we figured that out 30 minutes ago. Welcome to the movie. Um, I like to, I will find out who is the new Black Panther when the rest of the world does as I am sitting in the movie theater. That's what I want to find out. I don't want to speculate. So I'm just going to put that on record right now. It's not my thing. However, I will say that something that really stood out to me is this shifting of the way that actors are be the type of actors that are being sought out today versus in the past. In the past, it really has been the director and the writers sometimes in the world of, you know, uh, film are really the end all be all. And the actors are basically glorified props to just stand there, hit your mark, say your lines and otherwise shut the fuck up. And now that we've seen women like Lena Waithe, like Phoebe Waller-Bridge saying, hey, I don't find myself 
being cast in projects that really say my story. So I'm going to write my story. I'm going to direct my story and I'm going to star in my story. And then you're going to want me. And so while Phoebe Waller-Bridge may not have necessarily been what other people considered to be the traditional beauty, next thing we know, she's starring in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. While Lena Waithe wasn't seeing her story of her of a representation of who she was, she's like, all right, well, I'm just going to write it. I'm going to write about Chicago and I'm going to write about where I'm from and I'm going to write about, you know, my experience. And next thing you know, she's one of the most sought after writers in Hollywood. And now we're seeing it you know, coming forth here with Michaela Cole and uh, and and then people noticing that and not saying, hey, this is a glorified prop, but saying, wow, this is someone that whatever we give her, she's going to elevate it. And I have no doubt that in those conversations, Ryan Coogler is saying, OK, let's talk about this moment in the script. What's your thought on this? How would you change this? How would you adjust this? How would you put your own stamp on it? And that's what I love is is the embracing of talent coming from all different directions and utilizing uh, things that these women can do other than just stand there, look pretty and say words. Well, the question is for you guys. You're hearing about this casting. Could she be the new Black Panther? Could she be Storm? Could she be a newest member of the Dora Milaje? She could be another member of the royal family. Could she be part of maybe uh, an opposing family within the world of Wakanda? What do you guys think about the casting? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by... Alan Garcia, who writes, Hey, John. Wow. Did you see the director of the first Space Jam movie, Joey, uh, Joe Pikta? Uh, I don't I don't know how to pronounce his name, to be honest. Joey uh, Pikta? I'm going to say Pikta. Has come out and just slammed the new one. He used words like insignificant, boring, all while insulting the way Bugs looked, LeBron, and just about everything else. I didn't like the new movie, but... Isn't it a massive lack of class as a director to come out and start slamming the new movie? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Alan. And yeah, look, first of all, let, let it be said right here. I watched Space Jam 2. A new, I know they called it a new legacy, whatever. Space Jam 2. I watched it. It had its moments. It really did. The notorious PIG part made me laugh out loud. And I got a kick out of looking in the basketball audience and picking out all these really quite wonderful Warner Brothers, like little uh, Easter eggs that were all over the place. I got a kick out of that. I did. But overall, the movie's terrible. The movie is terrible. I, I, I really thought it was badly done. But then again, I wasn't exactly a big fan of the first Space Jam either. I didn't think that was one was done quite as well. Anyway, in the midst of all that, the director of the original Space Jam has come out and started slamming the hell out of this movie. Uh, this comes to us from Vanity Fair, who writes, uh, Pike has several issues with the long-awaited follow-up, including its soundtrack and supporting cast. The filmmaker apparently told the outlet that he watched Space Jam and New Legacy over five separate occasions as it was too dull to complete at once. Pikta also referred to the film's soundtrack as insignificant, a sentiment he shared about the sequel's roster of NBA players, including Anthony Davis and Damian Lillard. In short, the director said the truth is that LeBron ain't Michael. And guess what? He went on. He went on to keep slamming the film. Now, I am somebody that also 
disliked the film. I did not think the movie was all that great. I am a big LeBron James fan. An actor LeBron James should not be. Uh, even though he's probably my second favorite basketball player of all time. But I'm telling you right now, this dude should not be an actor. Uh, that being said, I agree with his assessment for the most part that uh, the movie wasn't very good. That being said, I'm not going to I'm not going to sugarcoat this. It is the height of absolute classlessness for the director of the first one to come out like a sorry little jackass and slam on the work of somebody else working in the same property. You know, a a YouTube film critic, uh, Chris Stuckman, who, you know, you've seen on my shows over the years and he was on my panels at Comic-Con and things like that. I know Chris. Chris Stuckman recently came out and and made the announcement that, uh, although granted is with some production company I've never heard of, but he's going to be directing a new movie, like an actual feature film, not one that he's financing himself like like I did, not one that's kind of like an own personal project like mine. He's actually legitimately directing a film for a studio. And while I and a lot of other people were disappointed to hear that Chris said he wasn't really going to be reviewing movies anymore because he is, you know, he's one of the best movie reviewers out there. From a pure movie review point of view, he's one of the best pure movie reviewers out there on YouTube. So I was disappointed to hear that he wasn't going to do that anymore. But I completely respected why he said he wasn't going to do that anymore. And the main reason he offered up was, listen, if I'm going to be a filmmaker, I don't want to be out here trashing other filmmakers. I don't want to be out here trashing the work of other filmmakers. It's fine when I'm a YouTube film critic. That's my job if I don't like the movies. But I don't want to be that guy that talks crap about the projects of other filmmakers or other filmmakers if I now myself am a filmmaker. That's not my place anymore. It's the place of critics and fans and things like that. If you dislike things, you got to say you like it, blah, blah, blah. But if I'm going to be one of those guys... I can't also be the guy that slams the work of other filmmakers and slay, particularly though in this situation of somebody who's working in the same franchise that you are. So it's, it's, it's interesting guys, because I, at, at the heart of it, I agree with what he's saying. It's not a good movie, but it's not his place to say it. And to me, it comes across as an extreme lack of class an extreme lack of dignity an extreme lack of honor to come out and bash on the work of another filmmaker and another group of people working within the same realm. And if somebody, look, I have no problem if somebody asked him straight up, say, did you like the movie? Say, you know what? It wasn't for me. I, I, I take no issue with that. But to use words like insignificant, boring, dull, oh, LeBron's no Michael, everything about mine is better. You know what, dude? That should be for other people to say, not for you. So while I don't like this movie at all, I'm the fucking nobody YouTube critic. It's my place to say if the movie's not good. That's my job to say, not yours. So yeah, I, I, I got to say, I was really disappointed to read these comments and I think it's the absolute height of classlessness. If classlessness is even a word, I might've just made that up. I don't know. Anyway, Aaron, uh, you know, you have are in a different position than like uh, myself, obviously, like you are you work in the industry. You are one of these 
you know, people that you are a working actress, you've been in some high profile things, but you know, a director comes out and a director's a little bit different. Like you, a director comes out and starts bashing other work. I don't know. How do you see it? Well, that is a very fine line for, you know, an artist in any medium to talk shit about an artist in, in a relatively similar medium. And if you will pay attention, not you, but if, if people in general will pay attention, I am very careful about who I bash. I intentionally do not bash other actors. Um, I think there's maybe even one actor who I have bashed about their work, but that's also because they're just a terrible person in general and I don't care. Um, but in general, I don't I don't say bad things about actors because I don't want to be that person. And I also will talk about projects specifically and I'll talk about specific issues that I had with projects, but not the people involved in them. Now, that being said, this Joe Pitka guy can go fuck himself because this is not only so disgusting for him to do this, it also like reeks of not so subtle racism as well. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that. And if you want to compare who's doing better in their careers, let's talk about Malcolm Lee, who is the director of this project, who I had the pleasure of working with. 10 plus years ago on Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins. My part was so small and ultimately ended up on the cutting room floor. But can I tell you that man treated me with nothing but dignity, respect, and like just, he treated me like I was Martin Lawrence. He treated me like I was the star of the show. And for that, I will be forever grateful for him as a human and as a director. And then you see the things that he go that he went on to do. He you know uh, he went on and he did Girls Trip. He's done uh, Best Man's Man. He's, he's done you know sequels to Barbershop. He has done so many incredible films that really have told have captured a story about people whose stories are not being told. And now he gets a chance to reboot something that you know. It can open up a whole new world for a younger generation. Is this movie going to win awards? No, of course not. But guess what, John, whatever your last name is, it doesn't matter. And if you want to compare compare uh, careers, let's talk about the fact that Malcolm Lee has nine projects in either production or in development. People want to work with him. You haven't done a studio movie since Space Jam. Okay, what have you done? Some Britney Spears Pepsi commercials? I mean, yeah, I'm sure you got your money, but that says something about who you are as a person. No one wants to work with you for more than three fucking days. So the fact that he's going to come out and try to gain some sort of relevance now, because, yeah, of course he has to milk this conversation. No one wants to hear what he has to say about anything else. So he can't just get by and say, no, I didn't like it. Why? Because it's his only time that someone's going to ask him opinion, his opinion about anything, because no one fucking cares. You know what? If he actually, I had a teacher once who said, when you work more, you will become more humble. This man doesn't have any humility because he doesn't work. And that's the problem. So you want to have your opinion about a movie, have your opinion about a movie, but do not talk about Malcolm Lee. That's one man you're not going to talk about to Aaron Cummings. <laughs> you know, he should have just said it wasn't my cup of tea and moved his ass, his unemployed ass on, but he didn't. So guess what, John, whatever your last name is, fuck you. Uh, Joe, John Cam, fuck you. His name's Joe. Joe, you got so much energy right now. <laughs> anyway, I read that and I was on fire. I was like, 
No, you're not going to do that. By the way, can I just mention Girls Trip is one of my favorite comedies of the last 10 years. I, I freaking I, I love Girls Trip. And by the way, our friend Anton Riley sends in a super chat badge live chat. Thank you, man. All right. Uh, Kim, you know, you, you, Kim, you're, this is fresh for you because you just watched the little Space guy woke Jam. me up for this morning. Yeah, yeah you uh, first, just Aaron, watched Space Jam this morning. Could, what did you think? I wish I could hip bump you right now and be like, <laughs> damn, girl, you got that mama bear energy. Like, try me. Try me one time. Okay. <laughs> I'm a mother now. You don't even know what I'll do to you. Like, <laughs> I'm loving it. Um, Yeah, the nephew woke me up. I'm like, I want to watch Space Jam. I'm like, can I wake up first? Um, so yeah, saw it this morning. Look, I don't like to trash people. I'm just getting started in this industry, so I'm not trying to get on anyone's bad list. But um, it was a movie, and I, because it was a movie, it is, and and it is a movie, and that's what it is. That's the nicest thing I could say about it. Um, it, yeah, mm, uh, it wasn't that good. But let me say this, okay. The only thing I might not agree with, because the guy is douchey, the soundtrack, I'm sorry, 1996 Space Jam, you had Seal, Coolio, or Kelly, you had Jay-Z, <laughs> Biz Marquis. that soundtrack was the soundtrack of some of our lives, like, summer of 1996, I remember that soundtrack playing handball on the school property when school wasn't in session. So they were like, you have to get off the property. And we were like bumping on our radio with our little cassette that that's memories right there. This soundtrack. I'm, I, I don't even remember what I heard this morning and I watched it like five hours ago. So um, I think it's pretty tasteless because in the end of the day, in this industry, we're all artists. And like you said, John, you can say, you know what? It wasn't for me. It wasn't for me, but basically he's basically saying to this new director, it was trash. Who are you to say it was trash? Movies take so much to get off the ground. They take so much to get made. It's so much effort and blood, sweat and tears and time away from your family. Like, who are you to trash everybody that worked on this film? And honestly, I mean, you know, I have nephews, so I'm coming in with the um, with the kind of family perspective. If you've got little kids, it's great. It's fine. They got the colors. They're playing basketball. They got the characters. They're looking in the background going, hey, why? I know this morning Jaden was like, why is that, that that guy in here? And I'm like, oh, it's Warner Brothers. Um, for little kids, it has fun. And when you're a parent, that's what you want. You want them jumping around. You want them having fun. Get that energy out. But who are you to just call someone's art trash? That's not cool. It would have been more tasteful to just say, you know what? Wasn't for me. Hopefully this new generation will take to it. You know, there's still some shade there with that comment, but I thought his comment was really, um, artists shouldn't trash other artists. Yeah, They I, shouldn't I just... trash them because who are you to say that? Who are you to say I, you know, I mean, I get that. Okay, you have a legacy. This movie, the 1996 version, although it may not be an Oscar award-winning movie, uh, that generation, my generation, will never forget that. We'll never forget Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny. Like that means something to me. Like I've the original it. Space Jam means I've, a, I've forgotten a, it, it means a ton to me. <laughs> and the people I grew up with, it means a ton to us. That soundtrack, that movie. There's parts that I'm still like remembering and reminiscing about. And so it's tough when someone makes a new one and everyone's like, ah, it's not that good. And now you're attached to it for life. I get that frustration, but don't don't trash people. 
I, you know, I often get, it's the same principle as this. I, every day, I'm, I'm not exaggerating every single day, you know, some of the questions that get sent in to me are John, this and this YouTuber says this, what do you think about what that YouTuber said? Like every single day and every day I have to reply. I don't talk about other YouTubers. That's not what we do here. Lots of them try to start drama. I mean, there's a lot of YouTube channels that they just exist to talk about other YouTube channels. And what if whatever other people want to do, that's fine. But we don't talk about other YouTubers here. Unless you know, there's something really interesting and fun and cool that I want to highlight and promote or something like that. But we don't talk about other YouTubers. I just don't think filmmakers should be talking about other filmmakers. Not if you are in that system. Not if you're part of that fraternity. If you're asked straight up, you don't have to lie. But again, like you echoed, Kim... All the dude had to say is, yeah, I, I saw it. It didn't, it's not really for me. Not really for me. That's all you got to say. And then walk away. Like trash the restaurant you went to last night. Trash the car you bought and hate. Trash the sneakers you just, that's all fine. I just don't think people in an industry should be out there trashing other people in the same industry. It's the same bullshit that we saw from Steven Dorff the, you know, the other week. And it's just, I, I just don't like seeing it. And it again, this coming from a guy that I completely agree with his assessment of Space Jam 2. I completely agree with his assessment. Again, leave it to the fucking nobody YouTubers to talk about Space Jam 2 being bad. You stay above that because you're a filmmaker, or at least you were. At any rate, John. Precious, yes. You just gave me an idea for oh, a show that I was. That's always bad. Whenever oh, I give whenever I give uh -oh. Aaron an idea, it's always trouble. What is it? So I, when you mentioned that you, there are YouTubers that just like to argue just for the sake of arguing, I'm just imagining you in a house with other YouTubers and we call it the real YouTubers of East L.A. And we just have you guys living in a house, real housewives style. Um, it, you know, it was an idea. Just let me know if you want to buy it from me. He's throwing a well, glass of Zevia. He's throwing a glass. <laughs> We're thick as thieves. Get this Zevia. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? The director of the first Space Jam decided to come out and shit all over the second Space Jam. What do you guys think about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic and our final topic today. Main topic number five. And our fifth main topic today uh, is not one that came in from anybody. This is one that's kind of an off the top, but it's too important just to do right at the top. And that is this. Guys, Dune. You guys know for a long time now, I've said that my most anticipated movie this year, probably what is also going to be my most anticipated movie of 2020, but here we are in 2021. My most anticipated movie is Dune. You have arguably the finest filmmaker in the world right now in Denis Villeneuve. This guy just, he, you know, he squats down and shits out excellence. That's all Denis Villeneuve does. That's all he does. You've got one of the most celebrated, iconic pieces of content, certainly in the history of sci-fi with Dune. You match that up with a major studio. This is a movie that could be terrible. Absolutely, it could be. But it's got everything going for it. 
Now, they put out the first trailer for it last year, and or, or a while ago, at least, I should say. And it was clearly a trailer that was not meant for the masses. Like, the first trailer they dropped for Dune ages ago was clearly a trailer that was meant to be something for um, the fans of the books, right? Like, because as you watch that first trailer, it was really just hitting on all the notes that if you were totally familiar with the source material, this was going to be striking those chords for you, but it wasn't really going to strike a lot of chords for a wider audience. At least that's how I felt. I just felt like it wasn't going to do that. Well, today, a brand new trailer for Dune that came out and it has fucking changed the game. This trailer is the best trailer I've seen in a while. This trailer is outstanding. It's the best trailer I've seen since that Godzilla versus Kong trailer. You, you guys remember the one that I just lost my absolute mind over. I'm not saying this is a better trailer than that trailer. I'm saying this is the best one since then. I think this trailer had everything. It had bits in there that if you're really familiar and a fan of the source material, they had bits in there that was going to get your juices flowing. If you were just somebody here, you're not really familiar with Dune, you just heard of it, you saw this trailer as opposed to the last one, and you're like, ah, here's the meat. They give you tastes of the deep interpolitical drama. They give you a taste of the epic galaxy-spanning uh, scale of the whole thing. They give you taste of the effects and the visuals and the action. They give you great character moments with the bunch of... Jason Momoa is great in this trailer. We got our first glimpse at the Baron Harkonnen. We got... I mean, Josh Brolin looked and sounded amazing. Timothy Chalamet, who I believe is the next Daniel Day-Lewis. He's not there yet, but I believe Timothy Chalamet is going to be the next Daniel Day-Lewis. I... Just everything, Zendaya, this trailer, I'm not going to lie, it might have moved. It might have moved a little bit. I'll just leave it at that. This trailer's awesome. It was so good. And I was holding my breath because you guys know it's my most anticipated film this year. So when I saw that a new trailer was dropping today, of course, because the character posters dropped yesterday, I was getting ready to hit play. I'm like, oh, please don't disappoint me. Please. I was so ready to be disappointed. I was so absolutely ready to be disappointed. I didn't know, and I was hesitant to hit play. But then I hit play, and I just soaked in it, and then I watched it again, and then I watched it again, and I absolutely loved, loved, loved this trailer. Anyway, uh, that's me. My uh, An amazing trailer for my most anticipated film of the year. Couldn't have been given a better gift today. Absolutely couldn't have been given a better day after, or is it two days after Aaron Cummings' birthday gift? Because it was Aaron's birthday the other day. So happy belated to Aaron. But Aaron, as my gift to you, I told you about this trailer this morning. And uh, you went and uh, I'm a very, very cheap gift giver. But you went and goes to go see it. Where What have your thoughts been about, like, have you been looking forward to Dune? I know this is probably something that's probably more up Tom's uh, alley than yours, but what were your expectations? And then seeing the trailer, what has that done for you? What are your thoughts? So the conversation in our home has been blah, 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 Dune, blah, 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 Dune, blah, blah, blah. And I have really just checked out because I've had zero interest. I did not read the books. It's not in my wheelhouse. And, you know, even from the trailer, I am 
so surprised that I'm interested in this movie because you know my biggest issue with Star Wars. Too much fucking sand. Too much sand. <laughs> I don't like all, I didn't like Lawrence of Arabia. Too much sand. I didn't like Star Wars. Too much sand. So it would make sense that I would not like Dune. Not only too much sand, but butthole monsters coming out of somebody's. And I was like, what is that? That's what we call him, too. The butthole monster. Yes. How could you call him anything else? It doesn't That's look like it... anything else. It's terrible. And I the saw on IMDb. Monsters. That's how they've credited him. Butthole monster. You butthole know, monster I mean, number four. Yes. You know, Aaron Cummings played prostitute number one on Star Trek Enterprise. And some random guy got to play butthole monster on Dune. That being said, okay. Totally off track. Uh, that being said, this does this. If you describe this movie to me, there is no way in hell that I would say, "Oh yeah, let me go get some of that." I can't wait to watch that. However, from the go, from from the jump, I was so excited. The 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 score of this of this trailer, the slow shots coming up and introducing the characters like when we see the reveal of zendaya like on that plane or you know whatever she's standing on with you know just the wind flapping her cape i mean she looked incredible and you go wow i don't even need her to say a word for me to know that's someone with power dave batista his reveal the way that they just revealed the characters was something that is of another era of filmmaking. You know, I love watching movies from the 1930s and the 1940s because when it's time to introduce a character, they'll slowly turn and the camera just sits on them and lets you soak them in. And to see that kind of character reveal in a trailer, when it's clip, 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 clip. I, I know that this trailer was longer than most. They took their time. But I really appreciate that, you know, and because we're not making trailers for commercial segments anymore where they have to fit into 15, 30, 60 second clips and we're allowed to really enjoy them and invest in the, the ride that the trailer takes us on, the emotional ride. I appreciate the fact that the care and the time were taken and that we got to in, we got to uh to sit with the characters but then we got to have action 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 flying flying fighting fighting sand 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 but we got to have all of it sand, sand, um, sand. i really <laughs> i felt like it was scored beautifully and i said if this is the care that they're going to put into delivering us a story in the trailer i'm in i'm ready in the same way that i wouldn't have said that i wanted to see 1917 and now i can't even count the number of times i've seen it same thing if you give me a good story, no matter how much sand you have, I will like it. Kim, you had a chance. Just lost their minds. <laughs> Kim, you had a chance to see this. What did you think about the trailer? Oh man, the cinematography! Oh I yeah, just like yeah. Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I, I it, it's just so beautiful. It reminds me of like I, I love museums, and it reminds me of just going through a museum and just finding that one picture that you just stand there for a while, and you're just appreciating the art i mean the cinematography is phenomenal this cast this cast oh my gosh but what i like about it is because sometimes you get films where there's there's you know the cast is stacked and it's just a bunch of celebrities honestly but i feel like the casting is perfect i look at i i, I didn't read the books it's been ages since i've seen the david lynch version 
I don't remember a whole lot, but I look at Zendaya's character. I don't even know who she is. And I'm like, I don't think anyone else could have played whoever that is but her. <laughs> That's how you know the casting is really good. But um, I'm just so excited for this. And I feel like, I mean, Denis Villeneuve is such a wonderful director. And I feel like he takes risks that other directors because it's all about the box office now and so, just like Blade Runner some, some people hated it you know but and some people they're like are you kidding me it's a masterpiece he's not afraid to make a masterpiece and go you know what? if you don't like it you don't like it you know and that's how I feel like this is pure art and I'm just so excited to see I, I'm I'm just loving Rebecca Ferguson so much oh. she's like becoming one of my favorite actresses I just I, something about her I absolutely love and so just seeing her so much but I've got to say the company that, that made the trailer whoever you are thank you, thank you, thank you because I did what you should do when you watch a trailer which is go what? not oh well thanks You beginning, middle, end, thank you no, I was like mystery what? 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 Oh, so we're blown up. Oh, so are you the president of this planet? Like what? I had questions and that's what trailers should do. It should make me go now. What is this about? What? Oh, that's my boy. That's Josh Brolin. Who are you? I don't want to <laughs> see you lifting the gun and be like, oh, you're the killer. Okay. I don't want to see you holding hands with the person that's not your husband. Be, oh, so you're having an affair. Okay, cool. I'm tired. I'm so frustrated with trailers giving me everything just like the trailer from malignant the other day i was like great great saw the movie i mean i look forward to the whole thing but basically saw it this was total mystery i'm so excited i can't wait um one other thing i want when you're talking about the cinematography can i just point out to for a second and, and i very very rarely mention this the color palette the color palette of the movie the the color grading that they had throughout it was amazing. Like, and you got a taste of that in the character posters that came out the other day. And to oh, see the blue with the tans and oh. those charcoals with the gray and it oh, was it, it. it communicated the atmosphere, communicated the mood, it communicated the tone, all with color. And by the way, can I also just say, look, I'm already a big Oscar Isaac fan. I think this dude is a terrific, terrific actor. Can't wait to see him in Moon Knight. But as Duke Leto Atreides. Come on. He looks so good. And of course, Josh Brolin is gurney and 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 um uh Skarsgard is as a Harkonnen. Kellen Skarsgard. Who I love him. Oh, big mm -hmm. daddy Skarsgard. Um <laughs> You know what's exciting is that we're sitting here talking about these elements that are usually reserved for when the Oscar contenders get announced, yeah. you know, oh, Dune's been announced for best, you know, score. Dune's been announced for best, you know, post-production, you know, color contrast or whatever. Uh, you know, a lot of these technical awards that uh, when we list the 25 Academy Awards that Dune is nominated for one day, you know, God willing that the show that the film is 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 there. You know, we're talking about things from a trailer that people don't usually talk about we're talking about color correcting we're talking about you know contrast we're talking about score like th these are crazy things for us to be talking about in addition to the 
the exciting casting and you know the, the the cinematography you know those sort of main points that people talk about from the beginning we're already talking about the technical nominations that this movie is going to get a year and a half from now so i, I really feel like dune is going to be something that for a number of reasons is a film that we're going to be talking about for a very long time let me bring up one thing that this trailer did for me is it actually made me even more angry about something else Seeing how good this trailer is just pissed me off even more that HBO, sorry, not HBO, Warner Brothers has sabotaged this movie. Almost, I mean, they have literally cut the knees out from Denis Villeneuve, which he was obviously very pissed about. They have sabotaged its box office potential by insisting on sticking with this absolutely idiotic day and date release strategy for it. And this is why Denis Villeneuve came out and said, listen, you you are limiting our box office potential, which limits our ability maybe to even do the second film that we wanted to. You promised us a theatrical release. A lot of us thought, me included, I really, really thought with Legendary, the Legendary who are the financers of this movie, threatening to sue Warner Brothers over this, I really thought they were going to reach a settlement. I 100% thought they were going to reach a settlement and have dune be the one film that they release exclusive to theaters instead they're sticking with this day and date release bullshit that hasn't worked for them yet it's a crime it's an absolute crime but i just hope that a trailer like this is going to make people go because i saw a lot of comments on the trailer on youtube people saying this you gotta see in theaters This you got to see on the biggest screen possible. And I hope that this trailer motivates a lot of people to get out and see it because I want the second film. I want the second film. It's like seeing Lord of the Rings for the first time on your TV for the very first time. Yeah. And (laughs) I mean, are you kidding me? If that's the only way you can watch it, God bless. If that's the only way you can watch it. But I mean, if you have the opportunity to watch Lord of the Rings on the big screen, it's a different experience. It's Mm -hmm. you get to the to the Battle of Helm's Deep. Or the Mines of Moria. You got to see that shit on the big screen. Anyway, I'm I'm very, very, uh, yeah. So I, I'm just excited about the movie. This trailer amped it up. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the trailer for Dune? I thought it was spectacular. Best trailer I've seen since that Godzilla versus Kong movie. I trust that this will be a lot better of a movie, but you know, we'll see. Guys, what do you guys think about it? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. And all right, guys, we're now going to jump into your live comments and questions. But before we do, we're going to let Aaron and Kimberly go. We've, we're running a little bit over time here. This was great. The first time we've ever had both of you guys on at the same time. I see Aaron is probably reaching for Joey right now. Oh, yeah, she's reaching for Joey for us. Um, guys, thank you so much. It's been great having you here. Kimberly, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Yeah, definitely. You can find my YouTube at what is good Kimberly. And then my Instagram is was good Kimberly. And uh, yeah, come stop by. Say hi. And of course, it's always great to have Aaron Cummings here with Joey Bish. I miss Joey. Why is Joey? I not know visiting you do more. Uh, I, I know. Well, you know what? We'll have to have we'll have to come out and visit Uncle John because she does miss her Uncle John's on Thursday mornings because she gets her treats. Uh, we'll have to come make a trip out and. <laughs> And uh, and so uh, so that mommy can get some some pool time as well. But yes, yes, we would love for you to come visit us on Instagram at Aaron L. Cummings. Joey has lots of pictures from her recent photo shoot on Friday at the beach. And uh, that's where you can find us. And when you're when we're not on Instagram, we're at John's house in the pool. 
Well, guys. And by the way, Aaron, I freaking love you. And I'm so glad we finally got to do this. I freaking love you. too. I have been very much looking forward to meeting you in person for a very long time. And so far, this is the closest we've gotten. I know. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. I just want to point out, at the end of any of my shows, I have never had either Aaron or Kimberly say, John, I freaking love you. I love doing this show. (laughs) John. Yeah. You were no, it's fine. One time with Aaron Cummings. It's one time. It's and it's like, I love you. I get it. No, that's good. John, that's there's good. a reason we never tell you that we love you. Oh, why is that? We don't. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. See, that's simple. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> See, I figured that part out. Humble? Oh, I you figured that part out. Humble? Someone's got to because God knows the commenters in the YouTube on YouTube don't keep you humble enough. All right. You got to make sure to keep you down a notch. No, we we both love you, John. We absolutely This is where do. if I had we the love effect, all of you out there watching. If I had the effect lined up, this is the part where I bring up the little rain on the window visual and with the little violin music. Anyway, and guys, we love you cuz you're our IT you're our IT IT guy. That's way, right. When they have the technical problems, to, oh, then they have no the problem getting like, on the line really with John. Go to Best yeah. Buy, go get this cord, come back. So we do love you. We're just keeping you humble because you're just so great. Well, yeah, sure. Say that now. Okay, no, awesome. (laughs) Awesome job today, guys. Well done. And we will talk to both of you again soon. Thanks a lot, everybody. All right. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only Kimberly Curran and, of course, Aaron Cummings with Joey Bishop there. Always great to have them there. Uh, And uh, that was kind of nice. We've never had both of them on the show at the same time. So we've got to do that again. All right, guys, listen. For the rest of the show now, we're going to take your live comments and questions. Now, we, we've gotten a little bit backlogged because a couple of days ago, just as we were starting the live comments and questions part of the show, the YouTube live stream uh, crapped and we got that stupid monkey with the wrench symbol that, oops, YouTube's having a problem. Anyway, so we started to fall a bit behind, so we got a lot to get through. But if you want to send in a live comment and question, be right either on this show or an upcoming companion video, simply go down to the tip link that's in the description of this video, or you could enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question right on the show or an upcoming companion video if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time and all of us involved here at the John Campus Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, let's get on over now. Actually, you know what? The first thing I'm going to do is I always forget to take off the headphones. I do not like wearing the headphones. I really don't. Make my ears sweaty. Ugh. Anyway, uh, let's get into it then, shall we? We're going to start things off here with Wakandan Forever, who writes, ah, I didn't want to make it an issue. I wrote in about Space Jam. I didn't mean that only black people should be able to rap or play basketball. It was the opposite for me. That is how we are always depicted in media. It gets old. We can do more than that. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So Wakandan wrote in a a message the other day. I'm like, wait a minute, Wakandan, are you saying that only black people can rap in movies and only black people can play basketball? Because you do know that basketball was created by a pasty white Canadian like me. I said, it doesn't sound like that's like something you would say, but as I was, so thank you Wakandan for writing in and clarifying that. I, I didn't think that's probably what you meant. So I'm glad you wrote in and, and cleared that up. Thanks man. All right. Next up, uh, Wes Grant writes one of two. So John, I finally done it. You inspired me when you mentioned that you were going to make a movie. So I started back on my novel. It's an urban superhero, young adult novel based on Jersey. Uh, the first of seven that I plan will 
plan big actually thought of putting you in the special thanks sorry for being an annoy oh sorry that's that's not lines uh west uh it's on amazon now and i drew the art for it myself uh would love to send you a copy do you still take gifts i do not accept gifts but thank you so much for thinking of me anyway uh, i have my first table at a convention in philadelphia in august is called break and urban hero's journey thank you for getting me started well listen that is awesome because i always tell people the the biggest hurdle about chasing something you dream about doing is just getting off your ass and starting. That's the biggest hurdle. You know, I always say you can't steer a parked car. Think about that. You can't steer a parked car. You got to get the car moving in order to start directing it and going and getting off your ass and doing something. And the fact that you did that, uh, Wes is fantastic. I hope all the success in the world for you. And I hope you're able to do all seven of those books. So thanks for sharing that, man. All right, next up. We've got Linus Knight who writes, Sorry for being an annoying fanboy, but since Marvel Studios and DC Film Divisions won't be participating at San Diego Comic-Con 2021, could you see Sony Pictures dropping Spider-Man No Way Home trailer? Now go ahead and hurt my feelings. No, listen, first of all, a lot of people made a big deal out of the fact that neither Warner Brothers nor Marvel were going to be at san diego comic-con this year but it's not really san diego comic-con it is once again a virtual comic-con at home and that's not the real thing so i was not surprised in the least that marvel nor dc were going to do big presentations i mean if dc if dc all they care about is is virtual presentations they got their own dc fandom coming up right which was a big success for them last year i have very little doubt that when san diego comic-con comes back not later this year. They are doing a live one later this year, but it's not going to be the main one. When they come back next summer, I fully expect we're probably going to see Marvel and DC there. I mean, I don't know that for sure. That's just what I expect. I expect that we're going to see that. So could Sony, though, because a lot of people forget that the people responsible, the, the ones in charge of marketing Spider-Man and how they're going to market Spider-Man No Way Home is not Marvel. It's Sony. So could this open the door for Sony to drop a trailer? Maybe, but here's the thing. I don't really see why they would be motivated to do that because literally they could just drop the trailer online anytime they want and get the same response. So yeah, I don't know. Look, we're within about five months now of when Spider-Man... No Way Home comes out. So we're starting to get to the time frame where we could see a trailer pretty soon. I mean, again, to me, the movie's still five months away. There's no need to put out a trailer right now for it. But we are within a window that you could start maybe wondering if we're going to see it soon. So, I mean, who knows? We could see a trailer within the next week. Uh, maybe not for another month. But, yeah, it's possible possible it could drop at san diego uh comic-con at home since it is sony and not marvel or dc controlling it so we'll have to wait and see all right interesting question man next up uh we've got the wakandan forever who writes i'll let it go uh just seeing speedo gonzalez and don Cheadle war machine rapping with looney tunes bothered me maybe no one else has a problem with it if i am off base or, or overtly sensitive fair enough just my opinion thanks john wakandan forever and now listen everybody has things that they're sensitive to I have things that I'm sensitive to that many other people wouldn't be. Uh, and that's true for all of us. And if those things bother you, they bother you. And there's nothing wrong with that. Thanks for sharing your feelings on it, Wakanan. All right, next up, uh, Ryan Lohner writes, 
Uh, where is it? The thing I really find fascinating about Snake Eyes is that everyone seems so sure it's going to be great. Well, that's not true. Um, even though there there hasn't ever actually been any good entry in this franchise, unless you count the original dolls from the 1950s. Well, there's two things about that, though, Ryan. Number one, this Snake Eyes is in no way, shape, or form connected to either of the other two G.I. Joe movies that got made. Either the one with Channing Tatum or the one with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. There's this the it's different filmmakers, it's different writers, it's different producers, it's different like it's different across the board. So really, even if the previous GI Joe movies had been masterpieces, that wouldn't say that this was good. I have not talked to anybody personally that has been absolutely convinced the movie's gonna be awesome. Now, I'm excited for it because I thought the trailers were awesome, but trailers are trailers. Right? They're not the movie. We've seen lots of bad trailers that had great movies, lots of great trailers that had terrible movies. So I actually, I've sensed a lot of excitement for Snake Eyes, but I honestly haven't seen a lot of people that have been 100% convinced this movie is going to be awesome. I'm sure there have been some people that have been saying that, but... And it turns out, now that the reviews are kind of slipping out, that maybe, uh, maybe it's not so good. Maybe it needs a little bit of work on the character development. Maybe needs a little bit of drama work. Do you guys know that reference that I just gave? If you guys know the reference, throw it down in the live chat. I'll be impressed if you know it. Okay. Uh, anyway, next up. That's not the one we're going with. This is the one we're going with. Uh, I'm Av. Oh, and Kevin Patel was the first one to put it in. Family Guy. Yep, that was from Family Guy. Sapphire Podge- or uh, Yeah, Sapphire writes Stewie Griffin. Absolutely it is. Uh, well, okay. More of you guys knew it than I thought. Well done, guys. Maybe a little obstacle for our protagonist. Okay, anyway, next up. Uh, IMAV tips in like $50. Thank you, IMAV, for supporting our channel on that level, man. Uh, Very generous of you. Anyway, IMAV writes, do you think Kevin Feige will continue to focus on diversity, switching up newly introduced characters, uh, gender swapping, different ethnicities, etc.? Will we get a comic-accurate Fantastic Four? Oh, that's what you're actually asking. Well, here's the thing. What's a comic accurate Fantastic Four? I remember John Schnepp and I had that discussion once because John Schnepp was a big, big, big Fantastic Four guy, like massive Fantastic Four guy. But as he would point out, the Fantastic Four had changed so much over the years. Like, if you were to describe a Fantastic Four from one era, it would be completely different from a Fantastic Four you get in another era. What is a comic-accurate Fantastic Four? And more importantly, what elements make up comic-accurate? Is it the length of their hair? Is that what makes them comic-accurate? Is it their exact height? Five foot three and a half is how tall Sue Storm should be. If she's five foot five, she's not a comic accurate Sue Storm. Is it the color of their eyes? Wait a minute. Sue Storm is supposed to have green eyes. Uh, By the way, I don't know if that's true or not. Sue Storm is supposed to have green eyes. The actress they got has brown eyes. This is not a comic accurate Sue Storm. Is it the color of her skin? Is that what makes a comic accurate Sue Storm? Is it the nature of her personality? Is that what makes a comic accurate Sue Storm? Is it the costume that she wears? Is that what makes a comic? See, here's the problem. When you start getting into terminologies like a comic accurate this, 
which elements and which traits to you make up comic accurate. And then, as John Schnepp would point out, which era of Fantastic Four? Because depending on the era you're talking about, comic accurate could be completely different. The Fantastic Four in the 70s would be completely different Fantastic Four than the Fantastic Four that were done in the 90s. They were just written differently. They were executed differently. The types of stories they had were different. Look, all I know is this. For 10 years and 20 plus films, the MCU made every single movie they did with white male leads. Every single movie. Now, if Marvel had come out, and there's no denying this. You can pretend to deny this, but you're an idiot if you do. If Marvel had come out and made 10 years and 20 movies in a row with black female leads, everybody would be screaming agenda. Everybody would be screaming agenda. If they made 20 movies in a row over whatever years and they made all movies with black female leads, everybody would be screaming agenda. But they did 10 years and 20 plus movies in a row with white male leads. And the moment they start deviating from that, a bunch of people start screaming agenda. And a bunch of people start using the biggest idiot word in the world. Woke! I I just think you're a moron if you use that word. And it's like, so by that logic, was Marvel, I don't know. You guys know what I'm saying. Again, it all depends on what is your definition of comic accurate. So when the height of a character isn't a key important part of that character, like a defining part of that character, then get a different height person. Like they got Hugh Jackman to play Wolverine, even though Wolverine is supposed to be like, what, five foot one, four foot 11. I can't even remember what Wolverine's height's supposed to be. But his height, while a very noticeable thing about him, is not the defining DNA of who and what Wolverine is. So they went ahead and changed the height. And guess what? Now, most people can't even imagine a Wolverine that wasn't that isn't Hugh Jackman. Most people are still screaming for Hugh Jackman to come back, even though Hugh Jackman is not a comic accurate Wolverine. If the color of their hair isn't a big issue, then get somebody with different hair. And if the color of their skin isn't a key important part of who and what that character is, then I have no problem if they change the color of the skin. And I would suggest if you do, then you're the one with the agenda. Now, I know that's not a popular thing to say, but when it's really not that important to who and what the character is, that it's not a key, essential, defining element of who and what that character is, then I'm perfectly fine with them playing with any element that is not a key, important, defining element of that character. I just have no problem with it. And if you do have a problem with it, then I got to ask you why. Why is it important that this person's eyes be blue instead of brown? Well, John, the character's name is the Blue-Eyed Avenger. Okay, well, then you got me there. 
you got me there. If the name of the character is the Blue-Eyed Avenger, you got me there. Um, but, you know, otherwise it's not that important. You know, the, the discussion about Magneto has come up a, a lot lately. And, you know, there talks about you got to update Magneto's story because you can't have him coming out of Auschwitz or any of the German concentration camps because now it just makes him too old. And some people will say, well, then give him a new mutant power that was never a part of his character. Give him a brand new mutant power that he ages differently. But that's not a part of who and what uh, Magneto is. And by the way, the German concentration camps isn't what's important about Magneto's backstory. What's important about Magneto's backstory was he was in a time and circumstance where he was exposed to the absolute worst in humanity. And while the German concentration camps are a prime example of that, there have been others. Whether it's Rwanda or some of the Eastern European conflicts or whatever, there are other things. The key important part was that he was exposed to such human evil that it has turned him against humanity entirely. That's the important part. Not the German part. The exposed to the absolute height of human evil. That's just kind of my take on it. So... Yes, I believe Kevin Feige will continue to focus on diversity. Uh, not everything will, but I mean, I'm sure he'll focus on it. That's part of his mandate for himself that because they went 10 years and 20 plus movies in a row with practically none. So he wants to balance that out a little bit. So I think he will. Anyway, that's just kind of my take on it. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Tron who writes, um, in my opinion, it is such bullshit that Warner Brothers is putting risky DC characters like Static Shock and Batgirl on HBO Max. Like, what does that even mean? If you make a great Static Shock film that can go to the theaters and make money, feels like they're getting dumped on streaming. Well, here's the problem with, with that outlook. Here's the problem with that outlook. The problem with that outlook is, number one, if Warner Brothers didn't care about those characters... They wouldn't make these movies at all, okay? If they didn't care about these characters, they wouldn't make these movies at all. They wouldn't be investing tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to get them produced and get them made and hiring casts and directors and sets and locations and putting all these resources and finances into making them. If they didn't care about them at all, they just wouldn't make it. So there's that. Number two, it is easy for us to say what other people should do with their money. The reality is a static shock movie is a risky gamble. Now, there have been other risky gambles that, that studios make, and they take them to the theaters, and they get big wins. But there have also been many examples of them taking risks and taking them to the theaters and taking big losses. To me, it's an odd look, because I, if I were a huge Batgirl or a huge Static Shock fan. And I'm not either. I don't mind those characters, but I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of either. But if I was a huge fan of either of those characters, instead of complaining that Warner Brothers is going to be investing tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in resources and time and energy and all the manpower and everything they're going to take to make these movies happen, instead of complaining about it, I would be thanking Warner Brothers. Thank you for giving this movie a shot. Thank you for giving this character a shot. Because I can tell you what, if Batgirl comes out and it's a huge, huge win for them, you're going to see more Batgirl. And you're probably going to see her on the big screen at some point. If Static Shock comes out, 
Sorry, I'm just reaching for my new, delicious, cold, refreshing can of Zevia. Zevia Cola, sponsor me, you cheap sons of bitches. Anyway, um, if I were a big fan of Static Shock, I'd be saying thank you for giving it a shot and bringing this character to the screen for us that has never been brought to the live-action screen for us before. And if it works great, guess what? Then it can become something bigger. So... Yeah, man, I I look at it a little bit differently than you do, to be honest with you. And I'm sorry, but it is a risk. These are characters that are risky. And HBO and and Warner Brothers right now happen to have an avenue. Like, remember, traditionally, studios didn't have an avenue to test out risky things. They either had to just do it or shelf it. That was it. Those are the only two options. But now... What Paramount has and what Universal has and what Disney has and what Warner Brothers has is another outlet that they can go, okay, let's not just shelf this thing because we think it has potential. Let's give it a go. Let's make it straight to HBO Max, but let's put a bit of a budget behind it. Let's bring this character to life and let's see how the audience responds to it. I So again, Tron, I... I get your frustration, but for me, I think if I was a big Batwoman or Static or a Batgirl or Static Shock fan, I think I might be thanking them for giving it a shot at all. But anyway, that's just kind of my take on it. Thanks for sharing yours, man. I appreciate that. All right. Phil Costa writes, here's a fun question. You say Jennifer Garner is your biggest celebrity crush. She is. I've had several celebrity crushes over, over my lifetime. Cameron Diaz in The Mask was definitely one of them. I've had a few others, but Jennifer Garner has kind of been my main celebrity crush ever since she was in Alias. Uh, anyway, uh, so what would you do if you met her and she fell madly in love with you? Well, I think I can at least guess one thing. You would be very nervous. Nope. Nope. Listen, by all means, uh, Jennifer Garner is my number one all-time celebrity crush. Absolutely is. I think she's charming and sweet and beautiful and talented and all that kind of stuff. Number one celebrity crush. I actually got to meet Jennifer Garner. And when I did, she was like seven and a half months pregnant when I met her. And it somehow, some way, her being seven and a half, eight months pregnant just made her even more radiant. It just made her even more beautiful. And I had a hard time, like I'm interviewing her. I'm just like, this, this is like an amazing woman. But I make no mistake. There's a difference between celebrity crush and love. I've got the love of my life. Thank you very much in Ancampia. I've got the absolute love of my life. So it wouldn't be if Jennifer Garner were to fall mildly in love with me, which let's be honest, would probably happen. If Jennifer got to know me a little bit, let's let's all call it what it is. This, this whole package right here is irresistible. It's absolutely irresistible. She would be helpless in the presence of the Giovanni. There'd be nothing she could do. Anyway, if that were to happen, um, I'm afraid Jennifer Garner would be very disappointed because uh, I got the ultimate woman. I have the ultimate woman as my partner, so I'm, I'm good. I'm good, thank you. All right, next up. <laughs> Thanks for asking, man. All right, next up. Uh, we got Ben Dover who writes, I get it. Ben Dover. Get it. Uh-huh. I, who was the target audience for Space Jam 2? Well, probably families. 
Uh, watched both of my kids. They love the first, but during the second, asked me uh, who that character is and what movie is that. Uh, my kids don't know Fury Road, and then they had Pennywise freak out my youngest. Well, I mean, look, the reality is families wanted to go see this thing because even though, look, you guys know, uh, straight up, I didn't think Space Jam 2 would do all that well at the box office. 15, maybe $20 million. It made $31 million in its opening weekend in the box office while also being on HBO Max. Let's not pretend that's not a really good result. It clearly appealed to a lot of families. It did. But one of the interesting things, and again, you know I don't like Space Jam. I I think it's a bad movie. That said, I will give credit where it's due. They tried to balance out... I don't know how successful they were, but at least they tried to get a bit of a balance of um, the stuff that the kids are going to be attracted to, but also a lot of little Easter eggs and things like that, that only the adults would get because you're right. You know, seeing agent Smith standing behind the bench in the games during the game, a seven-year-old is not going to get that reference, but we did seeing like almost any of the matrix stuff or, or some of the other older properties too. Like they aren't going to get it, but we got it. And they tried to mix that up a little bit. And while I don't think it came out with great success, I give them points for trying it. The philosophy was the right philosophy. It's unfortunate. I didn't think the movie was any good, but Hey, you know, it is, it was what it was. All right. That's just me. Next up. Uh, We've got uh, Jose Salazar who writes, Hey, John, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. I just had Kimberly Curran and Aaron Cummings on a show with me. Obviously, I'm doing great. Anyway, in what ways do you think Kevin Feige should handle the introduction of the X-Men and the Fantastic Four and make them great all throughout the upcoming phases? No idea. No, listen, I've been saying that for a long time. That I have no idea how you bring the X-Men in. There's also, it should be noted, there is no just one right way. They could take any approach to bringing them in and it could be disastrous. They could take any approach bringing them in and it could turn out to be great. The key thing is, though, they got to figure out a way that just makes it make sense. And I'll be honest with you, I can't figure out a way, a good, I can't figure out a good solid way to do it. Every theory I've heard about how you bring in the X-Men, I think has major flaws to it, but I'm one of those annoying assholes where it's like, I'll point out the flaws in your theory, but I actually don't have a better one myself. Isn't I hate it. I hate it. When, like when I used to have like 20 plus people working for me, like at AMC or Collider, like one of the things I would tell people is like, look, if you have to bring something to me immediately, bring it to me immediately. But if there's a problem that doesn't have to be right in front of my face right now, take a second to see if you can come up with a solution so that when you come to me and tell me the problem, also come to me with one or two options of potential solutions, right? I mean, if it's if they're an emergency, I got to know about something right now, let me know. So I would just, I tend to get annoyed when people come to me with problems, but no potential ideas for solutions. And I'm that annoying asshole right now. I'll point out to all the X-Men theories and point, point out all the holes, all the problems with their theories. Okay, smarty ass. What's your better idea about how to bring the X-Men into it? 
I don't have one. So I'm one of those guys right now, but I really don't know. Uh, but I am as excited and interested to see. Um, I'm as excited and interested to see how Kevin Feige is going to do it. It's uh, it's going to be interesting. But listen, there is no perfect way to do it. Any way that Kevin Feige chooses to bring in the X-Men is going to have its problems. It, it, there's just not a perfect solution. So Kevin Feige is going to make the best decision he can but just understand whatever way he decides to go, there's going to be some problems with it. There's Nobody can come up with a way without there being any problems. So he's going to make the best decision possible. And we just all have to understand that there's no perfect way to do it. All right, next up. Crashing Coyote writes. Um, and by the way, super crazy movie geek in the live chat is saying smarty ass. Yes, I said it. Smarty ass. So. You know I make up words here all the time. Anyway, Crashing Coyote writes, one of two. I respectfully disagree that the multiverse in the MCU will alienate uh, non-comic fans. Okay, but before I go on with reading your question, Crashing, and I will get to that, I respect that you disagree. However, it is a factual truth because I have already been hearing from casual movie fans that like the MCU that are already feeling kind of alienated because of all the multiversal stuff. I'm not saying that's what I want it to be. I'm not saying that's the way it should be. I am simply telling you as somebody who in my job, I hear from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of film fans every day. I am just telling you it is a factual truth that I have been hearing from many of them who are saying they're not using the word alienated, but they're saying, I don't get it or I'm lost or I blah, blah, blah. One or two have used the word alienated. So it is a factual truth. Now, whether or not that's going to be a huge problem or a smaller problem, time will tell, but it is an issue and one that we're going to have to see how Kevin Feige navigates and, and it emerges triumphant out of it. Anyway, let's keep going here. I respectfully disagree that the multiverse and the MCU will alienate, alienate non-comic fans because if non-comic fans can follow the batshit confusing, ridiculous Arrowverse multiverse, the MCU will be okay. I also disagree with you on that. Like while I thought the multiverse stuff they did in, in, uh, in the Arrow shows, in the Arrowverse was nonsense, it was very straightforward and not really convoluted and they never got extremely too geeky with it it also made for not very interesting stuff granted but it was a little bit different anyway uh plus for 11 years and 24 movies they have lubed up the audience i like your choice of words there they have lubed up the audience so it's okay for them to get a little crazy now considering my 80 year old grandma who doesn't know a thing about comics followed along with loki just fine uh, i think the mcu will be okay feige has limits and won't go as as far to have a whole earth of nazis invade which they of course did with the Arrowverse thing now look again i am not saying it won't work see every, this is why i have to repeat myself so many times i am not saying it won't work I am simply saying you have to be aware that there is potential for downfalls here and that as Kevin Feige, who if anybody's going to navigate this properly, it's going to be Kevin Feige. But if Kevin Feige is going to navigate it, he has to be cautious. He has to give extra attention to this. He has to keep an extra close eye on things to make sure things don't get too out of hand and to make sure he doesn't start alienating some of the casual audience, which makes up a big chunk of the movie audience. So I am not saying it's not going to work. 
I'm not saying this is going to be a disaster. I'm saying there are potential problems here. This could go south unless Kevin Feige is very cautious. And of course, if anybody can make this work, it is Kevin Feige. And I'm glad your grandmother, but just the other day on the show, somebody wrote in and said, yeah, I watched this with my brother. I think they said my brother. You, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I said, I watched this with my brother and they were lost. They, they watched all the other MCU stuff, but they were lost and they kind of tapped out. I mean, so it is happening again. Does that mean this thing is doomed? Absolutely not. It just means that you have to acknowledge that there is potential danger here going down this road and that Kevin Feige's got to be extra cautious while doing it. But there are paths to victory here. There are ways he can do it that'll still work out great. I'm not saying he won't. I'm just saying you got to at least be cognizant of the fact that there are potential pitfalls. And we're already hearing from people saying that they're kind of feeling lost already, right? So it just means they got to be careful moving forward. They can absolutely make it work. They just got to be careful. That's all I'm saying. All right. Next up, um, Peter Cunnington writes, I think another big reason Black Widow suffered in its second week was because people stopped talking about it when the Loki finale came out. All, uh, all the attention was just taken away from it. And do you think moving forward, Marvel will not overlap TV shows anymore? I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. And, and here's why. Because when any movie comes out in theaters, there's always big television going on. And there's always five more new movies coming out. I mean, it's just the reality of the entertainment landscape the last couple of years. There is so much out there. There's so much out there, right? That every movie that comes out is faced with a lot of hurdles. Some great thing that's on TV, some incredible sports event that's happening, some other movie that just opened the week before or is coming out the week after they all face this stuff. And if the problem was everybody's talking about Loki, then why didn't that hurt Wanda or WandaVision? Why didn't that hurt Black Widow's first weekend? I mean, we had just had episode five going into the last episode. Everybody's talking. What's going to happen in the last episode? What's going to happen in the last episode? What's going to happen in the last episode? Yet $80 million worth of people went out to go see it opening weekend. So I, I, and listen, I could be wrong about this, but you asked me my opinion. So I'm just giving my opinion. I don't think that at all contributes to why it took the biggest drop in MCU history. I just don't think that contributes to it because it pretends like there wasn't a Loki before that. And there was Loki before that. And everybody was talking about, it. so you could be right. And I'm sure, I'm sure Peter, there's probably a lot of people that probably agree with you and you may be right. My, my thoughts on it, though, I don't think that contributed to it, but that's just my thoughts. And again, you could be right. You could absolutely be right. All right. Thanks for writing in your thoughts there, Peter. Next up. Uh, we've got uh, Nicholas Cage fanatic writes. Usually when I see a movie with bad reviews that I like, I can always at least see where the bad reviews are coming from. Space Jam 2 is the first movie I actually enjoyed that left me completely confused on why so many people hate it. I guess I'm just crazy. You're not crazy, man. You're not crazy at all. I could sit here for the next 20 minutes and talk about all the things I hated about the movie. I, I choose more to focus on the things that I thought were kind of redeeming qualities. Like I said, the notorious PIG jokes, the little Easter eggs planted in the audience, the odd moment of humor here and there. 
I, I, I tend to talk more about that stuff. I did think the movie was very bad. I thought it was very bad. But hey, listen, it's that's the beautiful thing about movies, man. They're subjective. They're pieces of art. And when we each look at it, we have a different experience with it. And yours was thankfully quite positive. And that's great. Just because mine wasn't, doesn't discredit your experience with it in the least. You liked it. That's all that matters, man. And I'm glad that you did. All right, next up. Uh, ben Hayusa writes, uh, book tickets to see Snake Eyes next week at an AMC theater. I'm actually going to go see it tonight. My expectations are a little bit lowered now, but I'm going to go see it tonight. It'll be my first time watching a movie out of cinema since February of 2020 when I watched Sonic movie. Yeah, listen, a lot of people thought that was... Man, I'll tell you what, that Sonic movie, man, I I didn't have a lot of high hopes. You guys know, I didn't have a lot of high hopes for Sonic. And I don't think Sonic was great, but it was pretty darn good. That was a charming little film. And that's a great word for it. It was charming. There were some really good moments of humor. I like the relationship between, um, why am I freezing on the name of the actor who plays uh, Cyclops? Um Guys in the live chat, help me out. I, I love that. I think he's great. He was in Superman Returns. And he was in, he's in Westworld. And I'm freezing on his name. Uh, uh, James Marsden. Thank you. Ben Holmes was the first one to put that in. Uh, as did Mertana, Andrew, Yellow Flash, uh, uh, Kelvin. Thank you guys for putting that in there. I appreciate that. Yeah, James Marsden. The relationship between Sonic, voiced by John Raffio from Parks and Rec, and uh, James Marsden's character was really endearing and it, it felt legitimately warm and nice. And that scene with him in the bag as they're standing at the elevator is one of the funnier moments I've seen in a movie in the last couple of years. It was a great moment. So I'll tell you what. That was a really good one. Yeah. Again, I don't think the movie was great. And Jim Carrey stole the movie. I mean, Jim Carrey totally stole that movie. He was great. Um, I don't think the movie itself was like utterly fantastic, but it was pretty darn good. And uh, that's a good one. And I'm glad you were able to get back to the movies, Ben. All right. Next up, Alan writes, Hey, John, mac and cheese, ice cream or ketchup on eggs, which is worse. We all know mayo is worse than all these. Mayo is the sauce of the gods, man. I put mayo on almost everything. I, I kid you not. I really do. Uh, I will even kid you not. Sometimes unless they have a good honey mustard sauce. And to me, a good honey mustard sauce is where you can barely taste the mustard because I'm not actually a mustard fan, but like Red Robin has a terrific honey mustard sauce. And that's my favorite thing to dip fries in. But in the absence of a, um, in the absence of a, a, another a sauce like that, if I have fries, I will often ask the waitress, can you bring me a little container of mayo? And I will dip my fries in mayo. Mm. some of you are getting your butt cheeks all tightened up right now at the thought of that. I don't care. I will take that fry and I will dip that in mayo. Mm. I will put it on my burgers. I will put it on my hot dogs. I'll put it on my sandwiches. I love a good thing of mayo. Won't put it on my pizza though. Won't put it on my pizza. And iconic reactions gives us a good thought. Red Robin sponsor me. You sons of bitches. There you go. But, uh, Mayo is fantastic. We're to, oh, yeah, what's worse? Mac and cheese ice cream, which I was just informed of yesterday is actually a real thing, or ketchup on eggs. Well, here's the thing. I know ketchup on eggs will make me vomit. Mac and cheese ice cream sounds disgusting, but I haven't tried it, so I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll like it. 
Oh, oh, Sapphire Animation says, John, I agree. Garlic aioli is Mayo's hotter cousin. I agree with that. A good garlic aioli? Mmm. Mmm. I actually that that I that's even better than mayo. Yes, that's a good garlic aioli is even better than mayo. I, I agree with you on that. All right. Uh next up, Alan writes. Uh, hey, John, sorry if you knew about this already or have been asked. I just saw that Han will be in Obi-Wan series, uh, not to be confused with Han Solo. The actor, Sung Kang, I think is his name, who plays Han in the Fast and the Furious movies is going to be in the Obi-Wan series, not Han Solo. All right. Just just to be clear, I just saw that Han will be in the Obi-Wan series. Who do you think he could be playing? Uh, will we finally get justice for Han? Oh, no idea. It's probably it's a it's a brand new character. So I have I have no idea, uh, no idea who or what on earth he's playing. I know he just did an interview recently talking about how psyched he is to be in an Obi-Wan series. And I'm psyched for him. I think that's great. Uh, but who he could be playing? Absolutely zero idea no idea i think it's probably going to be an absolute brand new character so hero villain no clue yet i'm just i'm really looking forward to seeing him in it though all right next up uh sir lanson pants writes hey john as a fan of no limit texas hold'em poker which i play all the time uh what do you think of the movie rounders oh i love it don't splash the pot fucking johnny chan anyway uh what do you think of the movie rounders with matt damon and edward norton uh this is a great little film in my opinion and you don't need to be a fan of the game to enjoy it it's uh, another overlooked film that i love i really really like um rounders and listen rounders was a movie that i really enjoyed before i ever played poker like i never played a game of poker before i moved to la my buddy uh soul um, who you have seen pop up in my live chat and stuff like that. My buddy soul, um, he's the one who taught me how to play poker. He's the one who taught me how to play poker. And it wasn't until I moved to LA and I already liked rounders. Rounders is great. Rounders was one of the movies that made me want to play poker as a matter of fact. So now whenever I'm playing poker and like I'm stacking up, uh, and, you know, making lots of money playing poker. I always take pictures of my chip stack and send it to Sol saying, hey, Sol, this is how I'm doing. And send him a picture of my stack. By the way, I just played poker this past Saturday. I went for a couple of hours this past Saturday, or the Saturday before. That, I can't remember. I recently went to a place I'd never played poker before, which was Morongo Casino and Resort here in California. I'd never gone to play there. Went. I, I walked away like up over a thousand dollars. It was great. It was great staff, friendly place. Really enjoyed playing there. I want to go back and play again there uh, pretty soon. But it was a good experience. But yes, ever before before I ever played, before I ever played, I loved Rounders. So I really do like that movie. <laughs> Don't splash the pot. All right, next up, James Argenta writes. Ridley Scott has two Oscar caliber films coming out this year. Well, that's up for debate. We have no idea if they're Oscar caliber or not. We have no idea. Um, out this year at the last duel in the house of Gucci. Can he get nominated for both of them? And would he submit himself for both or only one to increase his chance of winning? Number one, I do not believe that Ridley Scott can submit himself. I think the studio that owns the film is the one that submits them for consideration. I don't think the actor can submit themselves. Actually, I'm pretty, pretty, um, I'm, I'm pretty certain about that. I don't think the individuals can submit themselves. I think the act, the, the studios behind them has to submit them. That's a very good question. Can a director be nominated for best director for, for in two, two times in the same year for two different movies? I'm not a hundred percent sure. 
to be honest with you. That's a great question. I will say this. My guess, and it's just a guess, my guess is, um, yes, I think they can. I think the studio, if, you know, if a filmmaker makes a movie for two different studios, I think those studios can submit them for best director, and then it's up to the committee to decide if he deserves it for one of them or both of them, whatever. But I think they can. I think they can. I'm not 100% sure, but I think they can. As far as these being Oscar caliber films, for all we know, these movies are awful. These movies could be absolutely terrible. Um, let's not forget that before The Martian, Ridley Scott put out years worth of bad movies. Exclude that one he did with Michael Fassbender, where he's uh, the lawyer. I think was it called The Advocate? I think it was him. Um, Charlie, not Charlie Theron. Uh, um, who am I thinking of? Can't remember who else. But that Michael Fassbender one was terrible. He did that awful Robin Hood movie. He did whatever. Now, look. Oh, The Counselor. Thank you, Nate. Not The Advocate. The Counselor. Thank you, guys. Jay Bling, Nathan, all, all said that. Thank you, guys. Yeah, that movie was awful. Cameron Diaz was, that was Cameron Diaz that was in that. That movie was terrible. Terrible, terrible. Now, look. These movies look great. And we talked about the trailer for The Last Duel the other day. And it looks great. But let's not start talking Oscars for Ridley Scott yet when we haven't even seen the movies. Is this going to be his latest The Martian? Or is it going to be his latest Robin Hood? We'll we'll have to wait and see. Because obviously, Ridley Scott, when he's firing on all cylinders, he's one of the best in the world. But when he's not on his A game, he can also deliver some pretty bad stuff. So let's, uh, let's slow our roll a little bit. Uh, let's slow our roll a little bit about talking about Oscar nominations for him when we don't even know if these movies are good yet, but we'll see. We'll see. All right, guys, listen, there are still more questions to come from people like uh, Mercer create Alan Gonzalez and others. Do not worry a little bit later today, or maybe later tonight, last night, I did a really light one, but sometime later today, we're going to be doing a companion video and we're going to get caught up more on all these comments and questions that get sent in. But for now, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campion Show, guys, thank you so much for being here and spending part of your day with us. Special thank you to the wonderful Kimberly Curran and, of course, our own Aaron Cummings for being here and being on the show today. It was great having both of them here. And thank you, a special big thank you to all of you guys who sent in these live comments and questions. Number one, because you give us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it and all of us involved with the John Campion Show. Thank you guys so much for your support. All right, guys, don't forget, uh, we got a companion video coming a little bit later today. Tomorrow, the John Campus Show returns. Me and Robert Meyer Burnett will be here. Hopefully, you guys will be here to join us as well. Remember to do the four main things, everybody. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>